Presented by Sandine Mbili and Lusani Mudlausi, and we'll cover the topics of professionalism, ethics, and the public interest. These are always an essential component of being a professional, and especially so in an industry experiencing so many changes and so much disruption. We need to be cognizant of how to remain ethical and professional in a turbulent industry, and I'm sure this presentation will fully inform everyone in the room. Before I bring these two gentlemen to the, to the front, I'd like to just give, them, give a brief bio for them both. Sandile is currently a director and consulting actuary at African Origins Actual Solutions, an actuarial firm he established about 10 years ago. He is also an approved valuator of retirement funds. He is a fellow of ASA and has worked for many years in the financial services industry under different capacities in both technical, middle management and senior management roles. Lusani achieved his honors in actuarial science at Stellenbosch University and is a fellow with ASA. After qualifying, he worked as an actuarial consultant at Sundam for four years. He then worked at a, as a health actuary for MedScheme from 2011 and was appointed CEO of All Care Health Administrators in March 2017. Lusani then started his own consulting company, Grassroot Impact Solutions, in October 2017, where he is currently the MD. He is heavily involved in non-profit organizations for community and professional development. Lusani is also a public policy actuary for ASA, and last but not least, he is the incoming president-elect for ASA. Please may I welcome both of these gentlemen to the stage. I'm not sure if you're doing one by one. Yeah, thank you. Good morning. Uh everybody. Um, I was actually quite happy to see that this session came before, before, before lunch, because in other occasions uh, this session was always after lunch and you know what happens after lunch. Yeah. So at least if this takes a little longer, seeing that we are running a little bit late, um, maybe we might break for lunch a little later, but who, who needs lunch when you're having fun? Um, this is basically a two-part presentation, and uh, I've just been aware that uh, um, I might need to, to chop down a bit on the presentation as I had, given that we've got basically two presentations, and we're also running a little bit late. Um, basically, the background to this is that I, I was a member of the uh, society's professional matters board for a couple of years and um, one of the things that we we set out to do was to encourage that in these professionalism sessions that uh, it's not a one-sided um, presentation that it's actually workshop like where you yourselves have to talk to each other and share experiences and share your views coming out of case studies that we would present uh, to you. So if you thought that you, you're just gonna get an easy one hour professionalism session today, you'll have to sing for your lunch as well. <clears throat> In this hour, you'll have um, an opportunity to review a case study, uh, which we obtained from the Institute and, and Faculty of Actuaries. And the way we're gonna do it is we'll present the case study that you get the good background, the full background, and then we'll encourage you to then have a short discussion with the people that you are sitting with 
or with the people next to you, the front or the back. And I think if you are sitting on your own, try and have a decent conversation with yourself or try and talk to the people uh, behind you. It's always very fruitful to, to hear what other people think uh, about a situation, especially if some of the situations, as you see, um, seem to strike a chord with an experience that you had before. So basically that's what this um, is, uh, presentation is going to be about. It's basically going through a case study, then we're going to discuss it, and then discuss the, the learnings that we've learned from it. And then I'll also be giving a couple uh, more points of, of, of input at the beginning and at the end of the presentation. I'm not a guru on professionalism and ethics, so don't expect um, me to be a guru. All I can do is to share with you some of the things I've seen, some of the things that I've learned over the past, and some of the situations that I've been in, and possibly share how I got out of some of those situations. Okay. So I'll just start quickly by quoting uh, from and paraphrasing a definition that I found in business, uh, business Dictionary, where it says, ethics refers to the basic concepts and fundamental principles of human conduct, that it includes um, a study of universal values, such as the essential equity of all men and women, human or natural rights, obedience to the law of the land, and concern for health and, uh, and safety and these days um, also for the natural environment. Okay. So really, when, when we talk about, uh, about ethics, generally we, we, we are talking or referring to doing things right, acting in ways that are consistent with what society and individuals typically think are good values. And I think it, it is an important, um, it is important to keep that in mind because most of the work that we do is very technical and then at the end, I mean, realizing that we've got at some point when we face an ethical dilemma, we have to act right, irrespective of where the powers may be that might be upon us uh, at that point in time. Professionalism on the other side um, looks at the conduct and the aims and the qualities that characterize a profession or a professional person. So within the profession itself, then we've got a certain way of doing things uh, within that profession. And these characteristics usually include knowledge and expertise, that we will only do those things that we are able and capable of doing. And then it will include values and behavior, which is how we then do things and how we go about doing the work that we do. And the last leg is usually accountability, which means that you'll always remain accountable to the profession that, that you belong to. Okay, so then the, the, the question then becomes, actually, why, why are we 
having this discussion. Um, some of you have seen in the press, uh, or you have um, been part of it, <laughs> I don't know, or you've uh, talked to people, that we've recently had events in the corporate world and in financial services where most of us work. Um, and those activities or those events that we've seen, they, I think are good enough to get us to sit back and look closer at how we should actually be doing things as people and um, how and what's expected of us in terms of the professions that we serve. Now, my question would be to, to, to you, I'm not expecting you to answer it straight away, is, is there anything that as a profession we can learn out of things like this that have happened um, in the, um, I mean, in, around, around us? And in particular, because these instances include people who are professionals. They may not be actuaries, um, or some of them may have been actuaries, but those people are members of professions, those people are members of the human race, and yet these things did happen. What can we learn coming out of this? Well, uh, one, one can actually say here that um, in as much as we might have very different views at what might have happened. But what is very clear is that ethics and professionalism were not really the center of the minds of the people that were, that were involved in most of these instances. And these instances may well be, these events may just be a tip of the iceberg with a lot more to come. Um, and some may never actually even be known or, 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 or come out for us to see. And hence we are raising this discussion um, of doing things in an ethical manner and in a professional manner so as to encourage each one of us to stay aware and to ensure that we keep focus on doing right and doing things in the professional manner. As actuaries, we do a lot of things. Um, especially in, if one looks at financial services, we provide supporting, um, provide support uh, to various aspects of business. Uh, we um, are providing key information and key analysis to 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 the business processes. For example, in things like budgeting and making projections. Um, so that your top management could make decisions, raising capital or managing capital resources for, for, for enterprises, financial services, such banks and insurance companies. The reporting of financial outcomes um, actually is involved in, in that process. Communicating to stakeholders, be it the regulators, be it uh, boards of management uh, or be it customers, actuaries are involved there too. In the development of corporate strategies for, 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 for businesses, actuaries have got a hand in that. And in some instances, the actuaries themselves are top management or strategic uh, management, and they make these strategies. So given the fact that we are such significant players, then whatever we do will then have a very strong impact 
on the lives of many people and that's why it's important that we do things right and we live by the promises that we make as uh, professionals. What do citizens actually expect from us? Well, they might be expecting a lot of things um, from actuaries, but I think the bottom line is they expect us to, to uphold the humanity process of staying and doing right and acting in ethical manner. And the second one, they expect us to be respecting the, the, the respecting our professions, upholding the promise that we make as, um, as the actuarial profession. Now I'm going to play a, a case study. It's a UK-based uh, UK case study, and it touches on this theme of professionalism and this theme of, uh, of, of, being, of, of doing things right, being ethical. Um, what I would like us to, to do is listen to the case study, watch it, and then we're going to have about eight minutes of the discussion among ourselves here of what we think are the issues that cropped up here and how would you have handled it? Did they handle it the, the way that you believe uh, should have been handled? In this case study, we've got um, Marie, who's an actuary, and she's responsible for pricing in a life company. And Kate is the head of marketing, and she's not an actuary, so we can see what's likely to happen here. And the company is launching a new product, um, and what they need is a new pricing approach that they need to, to finalize. So I will play this. It runs for about seven minutes. Uh, so if you've got popcorn around, get ready. <laughs> I hope the audio is good enough. Uh, but you can't judge by me. Oh, hello. I didn't see you there. Forgive me, meetings all morning, hence the coffee. Why all the meetings, I hear you ask? Well, maybe you didn't ask, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Make yourself comfortable, because we have a lot going on. So let me fill you in. Two sugars, please. Oh, oh do you want one? No, I'm just kidding. I shouldn't really. I've had four already today. Okay. <laughs> one more cup and I won't sleep till Sunday. <laughs> Anywho, I'm glad I caught you. I wanted to fill you in on what your team has been doing ahead of the steering meeting on Monday. So here's what's going on. I'm an actuary uh, and the insurance company I work for is looking to expand in the life protection market. Uh, I'm one of the senior leaders on the steering committee. I'm responsible for bringing the product to market. Now, as part of the steering committee, I am recommending a pricing approach. Oh, and my name's Marie. Sorry, I should have mentioned that earlier. I suppose I could have one more coffee. Now, that's Kate. She's head of marketing and also part of the steering committee. So, uh, your team has been doing all the techie number stuff. Yeah, um, Ellis told me they'd uh, provided you with a, a pricing paper for us to discuss. Mm -hmm. um, I asked my team to come up with a, a specific pricing strategy, along with various assumptions. Uh, I wanted to get a really firm understanding on the wider picture. Uh, distribution costs, underwriting standards, profitability, everything. Yep, well, they've been super duper helpful. Oh, good to hear. So, because the marketplace is so competitive, we're going to do lots of advertising. Something along the lines of, uh, hey, look how much you could get for just one pound a week. <laughs> It'll be tasteful, don't worry, but to the point. Okay, 
and the profitability of it? Have we priced it appropriately? Yes. Uh, I've had your team work with my team, and they tell me we are competitive but profitable. Oh, uh, I'd better take this. I'll see you later. Hi, Richard. Fire away. She's in a hurry. She's always in a hurry. Is there water in this thing? Yeah, yeah, plenty. Uh, listen, Kate tells me we've uh, cracked pricing on the new life protection proposal. Oh, yes. It took a while, but we got there. Um, I'll show you the workings when you've got a minute. She tells me we're competitive but profitable. That's right. I think we've got to a good place. Because of the way the marketing is working, we can hone the price where relevant and increase it a bit elsewhere. And if we do a bit of jigging, we have the sensible level of profitability. Also, there are lots of extras that the customers can buy, which we've put a bit of margin into. So we assume there'll be lots of sales. Did you speak to the underwriters? Yes. The marketing team did ask them to set tough underwriting standards, so only the best lives get their headline rates and the other customers pay more. I mean, is that in line with our approach to pricing generally? I think so. Why are you so worried? Do you not like Kate? Oh, it's nothing to do with that. I'm thinking of that behavioural economics meeting we attended the other day. We need to do a little bit more work, that's all. We need to consider the firm's conduct, agenda, cover all angles, share everything with the steering committee. Fellow workers, what's with the gloomy vibe? There's no need for heavy workloads. Right now, all we need is a simple discussion at Monday's steering group. No point making mountains out of wormholes. I agree with you, Kate. Apart from the wormholes bit, I think you mean molehills. We do want a simple discussion, but I would also like to facilitate a wider discussion so that others understand what we've done and why. It's very important. Yeah, I agree. Fine. I'll give you 15 minutes on the agenda. Is she single? It may not be obvious, but I do actually like Kate. And she's good at her job, in general. She does have a reputation for steamrollering meetings to get what she wants, though. The reason I'm concerned is that from what Ellis tells me, the pricing our teams have come up with is on the margins. And we need to make sure the reasons why it's on the margins are made really clear to everyone. You look like you're formulating a plan. Maybe I am, Ellis. Maybe I am. You're going to tell me what it is? Yeah, all right. Come on, let's go to my office. Oh, hello again. Well, I just got back from that steering committee meeting and I need a drink. <laughs> of coffee, obviously. Well, you're probably wondering how it went. Um, Kate and I had a pretty good debate about the whole thing, but eventually we agreed to go with the more aggressive pricing approach. Uh, we may find that not many customers get the headline price, but we'll monitor it and see how it goes. Now, where's that coffee? Hello. It's Marie, isn't it? Yes. Can I help you? I hope you can. My name's Roy McFarland. I'm the... You are Director of Public Relations for this company. You've heard of me. 
That's good. Um, what brings you down here? Well, I needed to speak to you, and I thought it would be better in person. I was going to call ahead, but I was nearby anyway. I've just received a quite troubling phone call. Troubling? A national newspaper is saying that we routinely charge our customers 25 to 55% more than the advertised rates. Oh. Oh, indeed. The newspaper started a campaign to get customers to speak up. I had a quick chat with underwriting to get the background, and they've said the newspaper's claims are true, but it was totally expected given the keen pricing. When I asked what keen pricing meant, they told me it was your recommendation that we took the approach we did, namely a low headline rate that hardly any customer gets. Before I take this any further, and please believe me, I will be taking it further, I think it's only fair you have the chance to explain why exactly we've ended up in this position. Um, and I will now encourage you to, to discuss this case study. I think we don't have much time, so I'll, I'll give you guys about five minutes to talk to your, your neighbours. Um, and then, just as a guide of some of the things that you might wish to, to discuss, but I'm going to encourage you more than anything to, to think of situations where you yourself might have might have experienced in the past and the decisions that you had to take um, given the ethical dilemma or professional dilemma that you might have faced at that point in time. That will enrich your discussion of the case study. So can we then start having a chat for about five minutes with the guys next to you? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you everyone. Um, I, I am quite happy to see that uh, with such a, a vigorous discussion uh, among yourselves and your neighbors, uh, I would have liked that we actually share what you guys were talking about, because I'm suspecting some people were talking about what's happening at lunch and in the case study. Um, but unfortunately, we don't have much time, so we're basically just going to move on. But I would like you to continue discussions, especially on the themes that you, 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 you picked up on this. But I'll just make one quick comment which came out of the short discussion that we, that we had that, um, that struck me, and uh, is that, you know, in, in most of the case instances that I, I showed earlier of where we are involved in, in companies or in the businesses that we work for, is that we, we act in different roles. In some instances, all we are, we are advisors to, to, to management. We are providers of information to, to, to management. And then somebody else takes a decision. So it's the, then the other people who then come to face this ethical uh, or professional direct, uh, dilemma. But in some other instances, we as the professionals have to make a decision. And that's where the discussion today becomes a lot more relevant because when you have to make a decision in a situation which does look like it's un uncomfortable for you, you've actually got, well, I shouldn't say but no choice. Um, yours is to ensure that you take the ethically right 
decision and you play by the rules of your profession in the making of that decision. Because if you are now unable to make that decision or you are, you are unable to, to, to carry and, and you, are, you are unable to carry the decision that people are forcing you to make, then you, you've got a, a, an ethical dilemma there. Do you agree to toe the line or do you agree to stand by the principles of being ethical and of being um, uh, professional? <clears throat> like I said, there are no right and wrong answers in any case study. Uh, but the point is usually made that you can do right or do wrong in a given situation. So yours is to choose, as a professional, to choose to do the right thing. Uh, where is this? Okay. So we've just come out of the discussion. Um, I'll just raise a couple of more, just a couple of pointers onto some of the issues that I've heard people bending around, other than your VBSs and so on, that I think might touch what we do here. Um, that generally there's issues around misrepresentation of information, um, which could either be financial results that have been um, uh, cooked up or massaged, um, or it could be the character of risks and the and the, and the character um, well the character of risk that the customers or the users are getting exposed to maybe we underplay that and usually that uh, happens because we've been subjected to to pressure uh, from above somebody's putting pressure on you maybe you might have picked it up in that case study that one of the key elements in that case study was that Marie went into that meeting knowing that the marketing people are pushy, they're gonna force her to tow the airline, and in this case, they succeeded. So one of the things she have got into her mind when she goes there is, I'm gonna face this, and what do I do? Okay. Then uh, there are issues around um, uh, unsecure lending or micro-lending with um, basically an overburdening uh, of people who can afford with, um, with, with, uh, with loans as long as it makes profit for us. Uh, the overpricing of uh, some of the services that are, well, the, that uh, have inelastic in demand, in other words, people will buy it in as much as it can be expensive in whatever manner. And quoted in these instances is funeral insurance and credit life in most in instances that we tend to squeeze the much as we can overpricing. Um, Availability of services and um, affordability of services to all. Those are the issues that seem to be coming around from time to time uh, around the financial services sector. Us being an integral part thereof, we just need to be aware of the ethical issues that come around there and then know how we are going to deal with those issues. So what does one do then? Um, I don't have a, a, a magic formula as to what you can do, um, except that there are some lessons from, from literature as to the sort of questions you could ask yourselves before we act. And uh, 
I did present a couple of questions, I think, at the previous seminar, but they are in the presentation here. I'm not going to go through that whole list. What you can just ask yourself, that before you, you make a decision on an ethical issue, ask yourself a couple of questions as to give you an indication of what to do. For example, things like, what would, um, would I want people to do this to me? Things like, does this go against my conscience? Things like, is this against the law? Or is this against the norms uh, of societies? That you ask yourself questions like those, especially if you're now not too sure what to do. And then uh, there was a, a presentation at the 2016 convention by um, Reddy, Butler, and, uh, and, and Da Silva, where they presented a paper which gave uh, an indication of a model that um, one can follow, or a process that you can follow to help you arrive at an ethical decision at the end. It was in the context of retirement funds, but I think that same uh, process we can actually implement um, to, to help us make decisions when facing that kind of, uh, of dilemma. Okay, I'm gonna skip these slides, and then I'll come back to this one. And then um, I came across some advice by a professor of business ethics who said what to do when you are under pressure from above. That um, I'll just read the quotation as it were, that when you face a really tough problem, red ethical problem, work through it as a manager and resolve it as a human being. Basically saying that be systematic to in, in going through the, the issue so that you are sure that you understand the situation correctly. And then if you need to, to, to if you need assistance, you can talk to other people, including the profession. But be methodical to ensure that you've covered and fully understand what the issue is. Then if you are not able to make a decision, um, then maybe the next point is talk to the person putting you under pressure. And he says talk to them as a human being. Otherwise, talk to them so that you understand where they come from and they also understand where you come from, from a professional point of view and from an ethical point of view. If at the end it still doesn't help you, then there's only one thing, like they say in politics, you must do the right thing. So that that you'll do, that will make sure that it's, it goes together with your your, your conscience, or so goes together with your, your ethical being, and also is backed by your standing in the, in, in, in the profession. It's very difficult things to do, but there are very difficult situations that you find yourself in which uh, unfortunately you, you have to take an unpleasant decision uh, and if you have to, then you must. There is no other way. Now, to basically close the, the session, um, I just would give about one or two minutes for anyone who wants to just make a comment about what you've learned and maybe even share with us 
what situation you came across um, where you had to make this uh, very difficult decision and what action you probably took. Okay, we just don't have enough time, hence I'm chopping it to one or two comments. Okay. <clears throat> Hello, everyone. So, so I, I actually work for, for KPMG, and I have worked for KPMG since 2017, before the uh, hit the fan. Okay, so, so, so I've been in that process where you are in a firm that made some bad decisions, and um, something that I learned from that was that even though I'm a very proud KPMG employee and I'm very excited for our future, something that I learned was that whenever you make an ethical decision, you need to think of how is it going to impact other people. Because some people made stupid decisions and they didn't think how it's going to inf influence others to the point where some people had to be retrenched, as you guys know. And um, something else I would also suggest, if you are in a manager level now or in the future, because I'm sure we are basically the future of the financial services in South Africa, make sure that people under you, even if you know you will not make a bad ethical decision, put processes and policies and frameworks, etc., in place to ensure that those people are kept in check. So that's just something that I, I, I've learned through the process. Um, and yeah. Thank you. Thank Any you other one much. willing to, to share? Time now. Yeah. It's not sounding like sharing as in AA. <laughs> I think I, I can add um, just a bit to that, also having been under pressure a few times to, um, I guess not do things that are illegal, but um, probably very unethical is if you feel you are making the right decision and they might be backlash, especially if you're not in very senior management, just document everything. Yes, you can have the in-person discussions, but if you have real concerns, emails are your friend. <laughs> um, put it down, say what your concerns are very clearly, use as much data as you can, um, because that is what your defense will be um, in case you do find yourself in real trouble further down the line, even if it's just your career progression later, you have evidence to say, I was making the right decision. So also try protect yourself as you are making those right decisions and you're making the ethical um, decisions along the process. Okay. Any more questions yeah. or comments? comments. Yeah. I think uh, one of the key things is always remember what your role is. If, if your role is an advisor, then the, 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 the chances are, yes, you, you've got to ensure that you, you, you act as the professional that you are. You do things that you, you know how to do, and you, you do them properly the way that they should be done, and that if uh, you do consider the ethics of what it is that uh, you, you are doing, and ensure that you do things the way that the profession actually expects you to to do. There is the, the uh, code of professional practice, which I'm sure all of you read every day, um, just to go through and it's going to give you the guide as to the way that you should be going about doing things. And uh, if you are a, a decision maker, you then have to make the decision. I think that's, there's a lot more weight on you in, the, in, in that instance because not only are you going to have to make sure that you do things right the way the profession wants, uh, expects of you, and so on, 
there is this ethical dilemma that you're likely to face. And in some cases, like I said, it might really be a make or break situation where if your client wants you to do certain things in a, things in a certain way, which you believe is not professional, or doesn't meet your professional uh, requirements and also breaks um, the, the, the ethical code, then maybe the best thing for you to do is to resign from that, from that appointment. Like I say, it's, that's a very difficult decision to, to make, but unfortunately, if it calls for it, that might be the, the only thing that you need to do to ensure that you end up doing what's right. Consider, obviously, a lot of other things around the people around you and so on, but remember that that's going to go against, if, if anything untoward comes out of that decision, not only will, be, will that be going against you as the professional, it will be going against the professional body that you also belong to. Ah, uh, sorry, that's just, can you hear me? Just a comment that maybe may not be very popular. Uh, how much engagement is happening between the board of the actual society and the board of accountants? Like, uh, because I feel like uh, we may be preaching to the convicted here, and now what you find happening, you find the others are getting reached through this way, and then now you have children who are looking for role models, and unfortunately we don't become if they're looking for role models that are making money, it's never us. CAs are making yeah. money while us were studying ethics. It yeah. may seem like maybe very unpopular thing here in this room. So is anyone engaging the other side? Because the problem starts there. Um, so perhaps okay. maybe we can pick up that when after Lusani's presentation, because he's going to talk about that so. from the council perspective and a lot yeah. of the work that's happening within ASA. Yeah. So maybe we can leave yeah. that for Lusani. Okay. Is that okay? Yeah, that's okay. I was just saying that leave the difficult ones for Lusani. <laughs> okay. Uh, just to, to, to close this part of the session, that just as a quick reminder that professionalism is based what characterizes what we do and characterizes us as members. And ethical behavior is part of that. And it's about doing the right thing or doing right. And uh, we need to keep the maintenance of ethics and professionalism high up our agenda. I know we are technical animals uh, in nature or by nature, but I think we should also always remember that we are people and we deal with people. So these issues always are high up there. So be a professional who does right, and if in doubt, always consult other members of the profession. Thank you. Hi everyone. Um, I think we can all say a big thank you to Sandile for speaking to us about ethics today. I think it was a very interesting um, scenario we got given and I know we had quite an intense discussion about it. So I hope it just kept that ethics question fresh in your minds because I know it's something in the daily rush of business we do sometimes forget about and it's something we should never forget about. Um, yeah, so thank you so much Sandile for talking to us today. A little gift. Thank you. Um, and can we now welcome Lusani to the stage? In church circles, you've got uh, uh, two kinds of sin. 
we've got the sin of commission and the sin of omission. Um, and, and I think what my, my brother here um, referred to is that sometimes we may be are too defensive that we don't attack enough like Bafana Bafana. Um, so, 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 and, and you're probably expecting me to, to be on the defense, right? Uh, to talk about ethics while the world is going hungry. But, but I'm not going to do that. I, I knew that uh, was maybe what is expected of me. But I don't think public interest is just about how we play defense and, and keep our noses clean. It's also going out and looking at what's going wrong in the world and doing something about it. So I'm going to focus a lot more on that but I will tackle uh, so, uh, the, the question that was raised. Um, yeah, this, this is what I want to uh, uh, deal with. Uh, I don't know, a lot of you are in the banking system, uh, yeah, maybe as, as big as I am. Um, look at this brother here. Yeah. He's only got a bone there. Um, so, so, so it's funny, but it's a problem, isn't it? And there's some ring of truth in it, isn't it? Um, if you look at the financial crisis in the U.S., uh, there are some dudes who still got bonuses and when, when there were foreclosures for, for some of these guys. Um, so, 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 and, and the government um, bailed out uh, some of those guys, and they got to keep their Maseratis and, and what, whatsoever. So, 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 so I think uh, from a professional point of view, do we have enough that talks to this? Do we even scratch the surface here? So, so these are some of the things that we, we need to think about. Um, the, the, there are some slides that I thought, okay, okay let me just um, uh, discuss a bit of, um, I'm, I'm playing this dual role um, uh, uh, of being a president-elect at the moment and establishing this public interest role. And, and, and the, 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 the main purpose of that um, is that as an actual society, not that I'll be the one going out and doing all the work and doing all the research, um, but to set up the structure so that amongst you will be people who will actually be doing that work. Um, therefore, uh, when I'm standing here, I'm actually making a pitch for public interest work, uh, for public interest research, and and for public interest uh, engagements um, to, to happen out there and for you to be the catalysts out there doing that, um, building relationships with the government. We can help each other to open doors. You have contacts, I have contacts. We help each other and coordinate all of that work. Um, and, and, and yeah, make, make sure that we, we have relationships built with uh, stakeholders out there. Now back to the actuarial society. What are the things that are challenging us? What are the things that we are challenging ourselves to do? Um, we constantly need to be engaging um, with, 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 with everyone. We have identified that we haven't, uh, as council, um, engaged purposefully with the student body, except to um, collect their fees when they are about to write exams and then um, uh, send them the FDs and FCs and FBs and uh, an occasional pass uh, name on the list and 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 you know uh, until you become a fellow you do not matter we don't want to hear from you uh, that kind of attitude is something that we we have realized it's not the uh, right way to deal with the student body um, so so we will be putting things in place to engage 
uh, more appropriately with the with the student body, but we'll, we'll we'll still we'll still send them the FDs and and FCs and FBs as well, and 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 and, and we wish that they will not go do stuff and get the pass list before the time, but anyway, I think some of it we we can blame ourselves for, but yeah, um, and 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 also there is competition for resources for clever resources. I think we've been winning that fight for, for the longest of times in, in, in South Africa. If you ever pay attention to the metric results when they're being announced, uh, the, 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 the cherry on the top would always be talking about um, actuarial science. I think we've been winning that space. But I think I, I noted slightly last year that there were a few who were now starting to say data science and so on. So there are some few clever people that are getting misled. So, so we... <laughs> We need to bring them back into the crawl, like somebody suggested uh, earlier today. We need to bring them back into the crawl. But it, it, it is actually going to be more competitive going forward. There are going to be alternatives for the clever kids out there. It's happening in the U.S. I've had a professor in the U.S. saying that some of his bright students are not continuing all the way to qualify as fellows. They are taking another route. Uh, maybe go do masters, uh, go do a PhD, and go to Silicon Valley, or go somewhere where you'll be required as a data scientist. So, it's competition. The world is changing. You're not always going to be creme de la creme right at the top, cherry on top. Um, my professor used to say, my maths professor, Stalamos, used to say that it's dequoning van cursus. It's not always going to be dequoning. Okay, it's not like Queen Elizabeth who lives forever. Um, it's not going to be like that. Um, there are going to be challenges. Therefore, we have to compete uh, to attract the best talent and uh, need to have entry points into the profession from other professions. We need to, um, uh, 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 in church circles, they also talk about sheep stealing. So we need to do some sheep stealing. We go to other professions and bring them in because they may bring in other perspectives coming into the profession. That's what we require. And, and, and that, that will help with the with this last point, uh, positioning us as a global leader in the development of context-based solutions. Uh, context-based solutions means solutions that are relevant. Um, I think the, the gentleman before the two of us uh, spoke a lot about that in terms of the customer. And there are many other challenges that we face as a country, and they require solutions. And I think that the, the IQ levels that we, we, we seem to have as, as a profession can go a long way towards assisting with, the, with, with solving those, those, those problems. Uh, only if the EQ side and the, and the knowledge side and the awareness side improves much more. Uh, I think if you, if, you, if you get an actuary who understands the situation and understands things, I think you, you, you are likely to get a very good solution. And also working with other people, collaboration. Know what you will get from an economist, know what you will get from an accountant. There is something you will get from CAs, okay? except uh, money or something like that, but there's a lot that you can get from them, I think. Um, the, what you can get from lawyers, what you can get, you know, having that awareness. I've seen actuaries who, who operate with that framework and how effective they become working as part of a team. So, so I'm very confident that these are things that uh, we, can, we, can, we can achieve if we put our minds to it. So I thought I should, uh, you know, show you some challenges of the kind of things that uh, we are facing in, in, in South Africa and uh, how we would tackle some of these issues. Is there anybody who doesn't understand what that is about? Anybody? 
because then we have to start with you because you don't understand your context if you don't understand these pictures. Is there anybody who doesn't understand this or needs me to explain? So, uh, for the benefit of any who may not be um, um, aware of what's happening, there's a debate happening out there. And to be honest, I, I haven't applied my mind to this problem. Perhaps because I'm not an economist or I'm not a banker or something, there's, there's something about this issue that I, I do not understand. Um, uh, so, so the, the, the mandate of the, the, the Reserve Bank uh, pretty much being defined by that narrow band of what is it, uh, below 6% or whatever, we must make sure that inflation is below that. Um, but, but it does say, if you look at the act, that to do that so that there can be sustainable growth. Um, and then there was a resolution passed by the, the, our brothers there, our leaders there, um, uh, that... Uh, uh, the, the, the mandate should should should, should what I, the, the mandate should change or the ownership even. So how does the ownership affect the mandate, the ownership of the bank, and 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 what should a central bank actually focus on? What is the what would be in the public interest? That that that's a question I have. I I haven't resolved that. I I because I don't even understand fully the the context. I haven't actually sort of. Um, you know, um, uh, read widely enough in that space to understand what exactly should be done. You, some of you are bankers here, or you are involved in banks. Has anybody actually applied their minds fully to this debate of what actually is good for a country, what needs to happen? How, do, how did successful countries um, achieve what they did? How did they use the Reserve Bank? Anybody has a, can give us a, a sense of, 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 of what is required there? You, you have something to say should I bring the yeah there's a mic yeah so I, I, I how much time do I have um, I give you three minutes <laughs> so the the structure of the South African Reserve Bank is like many uh, countries around the world have exactly the same functionality ownership is not an issue uh, the banks who own the central bank, were it was done like this back in 1920. Um, and the reason it was done like that was because the, the RAND didn't exist. Each bank used to produce their own money. And the condition that government gave them was that they had to have that RAND backed by gold. And the gold price in South Africa was different to the gold price in London. And so there was arbitrage taking place, which made it unprofitable for the banks to actually uh, continue providing rand, or uh, sorry, currency, their own personal currency. And that's how the exchange, the exchange, uh, the, the establishment of the central bank became into effect was to actually produce money. So the function of the reserve bank and the ownership of the reserve bank came about because the banks had to put up the cash to actually establish the reserve bank. In the United States, they still have the banks owning the, the central bank. And there are a number of other countries, I think uh, I could give a couple of numbers, I just don't know if they're still correct, but I think it was Switzerland, etc. Ownership doesn't give control. So the control over the Reserve Bank is exercised by the governors who are appointed by the president who are recommended by the minister. So a lot of people are confusing ownership of the central bank with exercising control over monetary policy. Monetary policy is sacrosanct to the government, and through the constitution, 
They've given the central bank the role of being independent, not being influenced by, gov by politicians, and to get on and do the job of monetary policy. Monetary policy itself can come in a number of forms. You can, have, you can target the external value of the RAND as, a, as, a, as an objective, or you can do inflation targeting, which is where we are. Many countries in the world do inflation targeting because it helps them in the process of controlling the aggregated increase in pricing. So with this, with this particular argument, as a banking industry, we don't care who owns it. It's not going to make any difference to the functionality of it. What we care about is that the constitution remains intact, that allows the central bank to do the work it needs to do to ensure that policy around price stability continues. And that's a decision that they've taken uh, from many years ago to focus on inflation. So, so in terms of the NASREC resolution, um, uh, your reading is that's only focusing on ownership and therefore doesn't change much? You, you, Correct. So you, you don't go, you don't have sleepless nights about the NASREC resolution? Not at all. Not at all. I mean, it's just it's window dressing. But the, the, what our public protector tried to do uh, with the words that she dictated to parliament, you would have a problem with that as a banking industry or not. So, so what are the words she used? Um, I don't know the exact words, but uh, in as far as changing the mandate to that of economic um, growth. So the South African Reserve Bank is a counterweight to politics. Right? You get fiscal policy and you get monetary policy. Fiscal policy is we go out and take the budget that you've raised from taxpayers and you go and spend it according to the needs of your political campaign. Monetary policy is there to check the overarching challenge of continual uh, in, uh, inflation pricing. Right? So in the responsibility that they have is primarily towards making sure the prices stay stable. The best interests of the economy is a completely different argument because the best interests of the economy could be to keep prices stable. Transformation and economic growth are byproducts of the activities that take place in an economy. Economic growth is what you're measuring. It's a measurement. It's not the actual doing. Facilitating through the banking system the government's money to make sure that the right people get the money as entrepreneurs to create the jobs to create the economic growth, that's the chain of events that in actual fact gets to the output which is measured at GDP. Um, thanks for mentioning that, that part about the financing of business zone because it is one of the points that um, I thought, uh, I'll come back to this one, eh? it's an interesting one. But this one um, is, is one of the, I think it's a public interest issue because if we can do it right and do it well, um, it can lead to the kind of growth as, as you have referred to it. And the question is, are we doing enough there? I'm talking to you as people involved in, 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 in or having an interest in, in banking. What solutions do we have out there as South Africa, as banks in South Africa? Do we need to do more? And what will get us there? And what are the gaps in terms of uh, policies that are in place? Um, that could change this. I've heard that in some countries, in some successful countries uh, uh, like, like the US, um, the contribution of small businesses to GDP is, 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 is way bigger than our contribution to that. So it makes sense that this is one of the sectors um, that needs to be 
and used as a catalyst for growth. Um, and therefore, and, and as the actuarial society, have we focused on this issue? Have we, have we tried to, to grasp what the challenges are and come up with uh, solutions that could be useful to, to, to the powers that be? Um, I, w I would like to hear if anybody has actually applied your mind to this question. Anybody in, in the room who has done some research, done some work, your bank has done some work on this, and, and so on? Yes, sir. It's right next to you there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, you can hear me now. Uh, so, yeah, we have done some work on, I think it's called the Youth Employment Service Program, the, the YES program. Uh, we're involved in modeling that, that, that thing for Ramaphosa. I, I work at Investec, so uh, Steve Kosev is heavily involved in that, and uh, I think the CEO for God, Goldman Sachs as well. So they, they, they approached our team, and we were involved in the modeling, modeling aspect of it. It looks like it's, it, if it works, I, I think you can put a mod, model up, and you can say it's supposed to work like this, but then if the government, government backing is not there and it's all just talk and no action, then it will be a problem. But I, I would say if you're interested in financing small businesses, you can look at that program. But, uh, Ramaphosa is very, very heavily involved in it. Um, uh, don't get away too easily because I'm interested when somebody actually has um, a clue about some of these issues. But I mean, what are the key things that should be worked on um, or things that we need to understand as actuaries as far as this problem is concerned? I mean, okay, and uh, where are the gaps? What needs to be done? I'll confess, I'm not an actuary. I actually work in, I'm, I'm like a data scientist. So when you, when you said you're losing talent to the other stuff, yeah. The, the, We've lost the, you. Yeah. <laughs> but at least you're yeah. still coming. Uh, but, but you know what? Uh, yeah. what, what, I, what, I, what I do enjoy, though, is that you came here to, to, our, to our crawl. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, so I think going forward, we would want to see more of that happening, that these meetings become more diverse. Yeah. Because now we are enjoying listening to you and your expertise. Please go ahead. Okay. Uh, so I, I would know from an, from an actual, actual point of view, yeah. but I would say working with the team, because in my team we do have actuaries and stuff, so when we're developing the models, there's a special set of skills that actuaries have. And the way they were developing the models, they, I, was, I was looking at, at like the data stuff, the data stuff, mm. and uh, they were looking at more at the commerciality and developing like the, the financial, the, the hardcore financial stuff. And the skills they were bringing, they, I, I didn't understand much. I was, I was just, I was looking at the data stuff. So That's right. I'm, I'm, I'm not quite sure, but... Okay. Uh, I'd, I'd say um, if you look into the program, probably uh, with your skills, you'd be able to see where where they applied like actuarial models and stuff. Like All that, right. Yeah. And 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 I think I mean what you what you're indicating. I've got this diagram. I, I removed it from from this presentation, where you know when it when we're looking at competing or working with data scientists and so on, you've got this diagram where you've got the the, the mathematical statistics skills. Uh, you've got the computer. Uh, skills, the coding and all of that, and then you've got the domain knowledge, and I think we rule more in the domain knowledge, uh, but that obviously will vary from actuary to actuary, your experience, your background, and so on. So, so I think this whole focus or emphasis on context-based solutions, the, mo the more widely we can read, um, the more useful our skill sets will become, but the more useful will be. I think in the insurance space, um, we've, been, we've occupied that space for a long time. We know the business very well. So therefore, we add a lot of value in that space. Um, if I look at the health actuaries, of which I'm one, um, our, our actuaries have also um, 
uh, you know, gathered a lot of knowledge around the healthcare system in South Africa. You, you would hardly find discussions without them. They are mostly involved in many of the discussions that are not even of an actuarial nature. They would be there because they understand the system. And, and those are the kind of things that we would like to see going forward. So I think this, this is something that we need to, is, is, there's, there's another point, yes, yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, so thank you again. I seem to be dominating here. But um, small businesses are really important to South Africa because I think that's where you're going to get your growth. But it's a personal opinion, and I think it's shared by government. The more people, the more. Shared by Ramaphosa. Wow. But anyway. <laughs> the, 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 the more people that you get to actually start small businesses, the more you can actually sort of uh, service the communities in your area and create jobs for the people in your area, as opposed to the very large businesses that suck up 30,000, 40,000 people. One of the, the, the challenge for actuaries is to start looking at data. And we don't have the data to model. And the reason we don't have the data is because a lot of the small businesses is in the, small, is in the informal sector. Money is not the problem. We, through the CEO initiative, raised, I think it was 1.3 billion or 1.5 billion rand for SMEs. I think they've discharged about 300, 300 million of that. All right? So that indicates that they aren't able to give away the money to small businesses that qualify to pay that money back. Because, I mean, that's, that's the whole concept behind it. So where we've got to start working out is how we can actually get entrepreneurship and innovation as a core understanding amongst our people that when you come up with an idea and it's worthwhile and there's a business plan, then you can get the funding that goes with it, which translates into services and, and small businesses that sustain. If you go statistically and have a look at small businesses across the globe, you'll find that the average small business entrepreneur fails four times. All right? So it's a steep learning curve. The, you'll find that some of the small businesses, your 10-year your horizon is something like 20% will make it. So small business is not, a, um, it's not for the faint-hearted, but what we've got to do as, as industries and are doing is put in place the ability for small businesses to learn what is needed in order to access the finance from the formal industry. There's a lot of crowdfunding. There's a lot of other platforms that you can use to raise money. But to be successful, you need to be able to step up to that point where you can actually engage the formal sector. So we need an informal funding. We need the ability to teach people how to become more formal and to cross that bridge if crudely from Alexandra into Santon, so that they can get the benefits of a more efficient financial system. A lot of work to do. Yeah. Sorry, I, I, th I think um, uh, my, my other comment was maybe to add on to what Mark has said is, uh, I think that the problem of funding small businesses has, has always been seen to be a bank problem. But if we, if we basically look at the fundamentals of business, right? If you, if you, if you were to take a, any business, um, you, if, if you took the JSE listed entities, you'd struggle to find a business that is 100% debt financed. So you, you almost always need to have an equity component and a debt component in order to sustainably finance a business. And the problem that we have in this space is that we always think that all small businesses should have debt, but that's actually the uh, almost like the, 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 the recipe for a real disaster because if you got debt and you don't have cash flow, then you can't service that debt. So you almost need to have, uh, I guess, other participants or rather equity partners, people who are willing to take on more, much more risk than the banks have, uh, are able to take in order to, 
to come in and partner with the banks in, in terms of, uh, I guess, managing the, the, the financing of small businesses. So where, where a business has got some equity, the bank can always come in and say, okay, look, I mean, you, you've got a component of equity, say 50%, and then the other 50% can be loan funding, and then you've, you've got a, almost like a balanced, um, I guess, uh, balance sheet, if, if you can call it that. Well, great. I'm, I'm actually throwing it back uh, uh, to you as members of the profession, as actuaries, data scientists, and wherever you are here, um, to say what are the gaps, what, what needs to be put in place so that this engine can begin to work the way we think it, it can work. Money is there, but, but, but what, what needs to be in place? So, I mean, I'm, I'm going to move on from this one, but I can see it's generating a lot of interest. But, I mean, um, if we're going to do anything for this country, this is probably one area where we can make a meaningful difference. Um, home ownership. I, and, and I guess, I mean, I can take from your, your, what, what the contribution you've made that um, it cannot be 100%, uh, 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 you know, we can't simply expect that it will be 100%. Uh, financing happening there for people to own homes. There would have to be an element of, of equity, uh, but we know a lot of people, even those that are especially the, the missing middle or those that um, cannot qualify for the RGP houses, but also uh, you know, cannot actually qualify to get some of the financing out there. Um, that's where there's a big need, a big gap, and, 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 and you know, what needs to be done in that space. There's somebody who did um, a presentation, I think it was at the colloquium, earlier this year, um, showing just how home ownership um, leads to the creation of wealth. And the fact that if you have so many people that uh, do not have homes, um, that they miss out in the creation of wealth. They, actually, the inequality that we, we speak of in South Africa, which is a big problem, um, you know, it, it just gets worse and worse when you have people that should be having houses or homes um, uh, or owning them that uh, can't own them, do not have that opportunity. So that, that, that is something that I think um, from, from, the, I mean, from the banking perspective, but also just from the actuarial perspective, public interest, I think this is also one issue that um, needs to be um, uh, researched and understood very well. Let me go back to this one. Uh, you know, you can see we're talking real stuff here. We're talking tangible stuff here. We're talking land. We're talking money. We're talking businesses. We're talking things that can make a big difference to people. So the expropriation of land without compensation is what uh, some would want. That, and that was the, the resolution um, at NASRAC. Uh, you worried about that one? That one does keep you awake. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you said it breaks principles of banking. <laughs> I get that too. That follows from that. So, so I mean, if you think about expropriation of land, I mean, you know, if you're going to expropriate land, what are you going to do with it? Our understanding is that it's not a general expropriation of land. The understanding was that this is in situations where you have inner city buildings that are turning into slums, the landlord is absconded, and you've got a building that you can't do anything with because it's just legally impossible to do anything. You need these powers. These powers exist, expropriation, right? You know, if you want to put a freeway through somebody's farm, you, you offer them a sum of money. If they don't accept it, you expropriate the land and say it's in the nation's interest to have a freeway through here, and that's how they... That's in the public interest it's to in expropriate. The, it, it's in the public interest, and they do have those facilities. So when you get an inner city slum and you want to take that building and you want to take it away and now repair it and put uh, proper accommodation for rental-paying people, you need those powers, and that's what they're talking about. 
They're talking about land that has been kept by individuals for centuries, which is proper land that can be used to create food. And that food, if you think about food security in South Africa, only 30% of South Africa's land area is arable. It's really important that we don't sit with you know, acres and acres of land which is just not being used appropriately. We get that. This doesn't go, the intention is not to take away people's farms, to take away people's houses, even property rights as in... So, so, so you're distinguishing between the Nasrek resolution and Sishihu resolution? Well, yeah. So, so, so where we are is, we, you know, we understand that there are certain situations where it is appropriate for government to expropriate, and it happens all over the world. It's not something new. Um, the challenge becomes is if you start going for intellectual property rights, wh why can't you just expropriate Coca-Cola? You know, just take the name. Or, or take a pharmaceutical company and turn it into a, a state asset. That's where it goes too far. For a banking sector, I mean, we take security because that's the process of the way in which we are able to reduce um, our costing to society. So having expropriation of land without compensation places us in the invisible the challenging position, uh, where we've lent money, other people's money, and we can't get that money back. Do we go after the person who now doesn't have a house, doesn't have a farm, and still owes half a million rand? And it creates a bit of a problem for us. You know, if government was going to compensate us for the amounts of money that was still outstanding, we wouldn't be objecting to it. It would have to be a political debate. Is it still principally correct or not? But from our perspective, we work with other people's money. If I lend you the money, I expect to get it back with interest on the due date. This is so, an so, so I guess in summary, this um, is something that definitely needs to be um, thought through. We haven't done enough of that as, as, as actuaries, have we? And it's such a critical issue. It, it's, a, it's a resolution of the main party, and there's an opposition party that, is, uh, that, is, that, is, that, that really wants this done, but we, we, we haven't done enough to make any meaningful commentary into this space. So, so this is challenging you, um, challenging us, um, me as a public interest actuary, to say, you know, are we busy just being, trying to be ethical, uh, or, uh, and, the, and the world is moving away and we're not having anything to do with it? Felix. Thanks, Lusani. My, my, my take is, is that, so I agree with him, I, I don't really think the government is serious about taking land. They could just take the land. But what I think where we could add value as actuaries is the, the so what of that. I think there's a genuine question of, of people who want land and young people who are unemployed and the like. What I think is that there's someone who should work with the government to work out a model of pieces of land if they are apportioned to people who are skilled, who are young, and they are given five years, and they are given 20,000 or 100,000 or 500,000. This is what they should return if they don't. What happens to the people who are financing those things? So I think there's quite scope for the public interest actually to engage with the government and build something nice from a professional perspective, a real model that can actually be implemented, that can be tracked, that has got experience monitoring, something that is really scientific. The public interest actually would say it's <laughs> looking for a champion or champions from amongst you uh, who could do that? And the public interest actually will most happily take you to government <laughs> to present such a model. And he will sit with you in some meetings. He will buy you coffee when you're busy working on that thing. He will do that. The public interest actually will do that. Okay, maybe in the <laughs> but, interest but, of but, time. But, but, but 
Yes. Yeah, in the interest of time, mm -hmm. also let's not forget Bayanda's question. Um, I know we've got about f less than five minutes. Let's okay. not forget how are we actually interfacing with other professionals with all of the scandals we will, that will We will place. mention that. So, so these were the four key ones that I think, uh, these are suggestions. There may be others. The point is, let not our business model be the one where we are just consulting or working for banks. Let's look at it, these banking issues that are perhaps uh, go beyond the banking system, uh, which are the financing things um, that can actually create wealth for the, for the country. Um, that's a challenge that we need to tackle. How we do it, Felix, we need to talk about it, but we need to do it. End of story. Um, and and, 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 and so, so these are the questions, and uh, we've been addressing some of them. Um, consider which of these public interest issues to focus on. There's a lot of research, discussion, and, 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 and so on that needs to be done. And, and we work with you to do that. And, um, and, and the reason why I say that is because when somebody has thought through something and researched it properly and really has understood the context, the political context, the economic context, and so on, social context, it's very difficult for the government to just reject that outright. They can do that, but especially where you have a government that is willing to listen, like the one that I think we have now. I think that uh, if we have something meaningful like that, it's likely to, to be noted uh, at some point somewhere down the line. So, so I think it's very important for us to understand that um, we, we have power, that there's something that we, we, we can do. And, 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 and I, I, I discussed this when I was in, in Ghana, when I was looking at the crisis that they have in banking there, that at times when you talk regulation, we're talking how to trap people, how to put them into order and so on. But, but we also need to think about what are the things that we need to put in place to create opportunities. And, and, and it, in any discussion, I would want to see the, both sides uh, coming through to the fore. What needs to be done to create opportunities as well? We live in a country where inequality is very high, unemployment is very high, all the bad stats. And what do we do as people in this room in the public interest? So, so that is what I'm challenging you to do. Public interest is not just us being sort of what we call, uh, you know, trying not to commit uh, the sin of commission. But it's also, we need to understand the sin of omission. If you don't do something, you don't think about it, yet it's a problem. And that becomes a problem, and we need to be mindful of that. In terms of um, discussions with other professions, on, uh, th there have been some discussions. I have not had any discussions uh, at my level, I don't think. Uh, Peter, as an as a, as a actual society president, I don't remember him having um, a discussion uh, to do with this. But there have been some discussions. There have been, uh, especially with some of the fallouts that have happened, uh, specific to those cases, uh, there, there have been some of those discussions. And, but I think there is a need for, for broader discussion, uh, principles discussion um, on some of these issues and, and how people behave and so on. I, I, I think, I mean, it, it's always uh, a question for me when you look at sort of percentage of bad apples, whether we could argue that the CAs have a higher percentage of bad apples or, you know, it's the same percentage um, with us. It's just that they're much bigger and therefore the absolute number of bad apples, okay, it's a, it's a debate. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and whether we can argue that our framework, our framework that we've built um, on professionalism, the training we have on professionalism, whether it's more superior than what they have. There are some that believe that. I, I've, I haven't tested that. 
I haven't tested whether our training on professionalism and, and, and our communication of what we expect of our members is, is far superior to, to what the accountants have, uh, with, if they have any. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think they do have some. So they, there's a lot more. They, that's a challenge. I, I accept it. There's a lot more to do in that space in terms of engagement. These are the issues that I thought I should bring to you. Uh, to get you thinking, and I'm glad we've got a, we had a lot of discussion um, going here. And, and the challenge is, as the, as the banking committee and so on, what are you going to focus on? What aspects of public interest uh, issues are you going to tackle? And I'm, I'm hoping to hear from you or get a call from you to say, Lusani, this is the, this is the area that we're going to focus on. Let's see how we can do it. Thank you very much. Is there any, is there time for one comment, thought? I, I will say all due respect to the CAs in the room. Um, we're, we're glad to have you here. <laughs> any, anything, is there, is there any, uh, any other comment or um, something that you thought the president should take note of? Um, I'll, I'll pass on the message. I only have uh, five months in which I, could, I can say that. Uh, I'll take on the message ne next year. I can't do that anymore. Um, so is there, is there any last comment, um, thoughts, questions? Calling once, calling twice. Oh. You know when we say that, we hope that there will be no question. Okay, <laughs> oh, sorry, okay. sorry. Uh, Quick one. Uh, for you, I, I know this thing, uh, this public actually recently been advertised. Do you actually have a budget or how's, how's your lobbying? I can see you, you say you're connected, you can get someone to government. So. I don't think anyone is willing to do the stuff for free. So is the government, is the request coming the other side to the society and say we're looking for people to investigate this, whereby there's a budget and then there's timelines? Because I don't think, you know, as much as we want to help, I don't think anyone has enough hours okay. in a day. To so you know how government works, Ms. Yeah. PFMA. So, so if, if there's a budget, they will go the tender route. And there we say, by all means, actuaries get involved in that, do that. So, so that would be the normal sort of run-of-the-mill way in which government will source um, uh, work from, from, from the society or from, from members. What we would be talking about is where we are more proactive. We are working on something that government hasn't maybe thought about. This is how it can be approached. And we think we can actually do it this way. So therefore, we use our own resources to do that. I have a budget. Um, I've only given uh, something to one organization, so I still have a budget for the rest of this year. Um, I think we still have about half a million there, um, where you can put together a proposal on one of these issues, and, 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 and you say you're going to work at it as a group, and, and we can give you some of that money and say, please produce something to, for us. You have a paper that we can, we can look at and, 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 and so on. So, so the Actuarial Society has actually put together a budget so that we can actually um, um, uh, initiate some of these work ourselves. What, 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 what I've also, in, in the course of my work, talking to different people, I've found think tanks like uh, the Social Policy Unit at Stellenbosch University. So you would have a sort of a tripartite sort of uh, uh, arrangement where you have got the, the, the experts then you've got a, a, an NGO or a multinational, you know, one of these Bill Gates Foundation type organizations who will be the funder. Then you have the client who's the government or a government department or a local municipality. So there are those setups. So it, it requires somebody who's got the energy to, to think through what do we need to do, the problem statement, the proposal, get the funder, 
or, or, or speak to the client first. Do you agree this is a problem? This would be helpful to you? Yes. Get somebody to, to, to fund this, and then you've got something happening. So, so, so the organization that we've given something to, um, they've done that. They've done a lot of work. They, they realize that we need to do research in one aspect of healthcare. Um, they got other partners. They came to us and said, we want you to be a strategic partner. They've asked us to contribute something which is less than 10% of, of the entire budget of that, of that project. But it gives us a very high profile. So that one is a, was a no-brainer. So it's those type of things where you, you, you are an activist, you're looking at an issue, and then you pull the partners together um, to, to solve a problem, and you get the budgeting for it as well. So yeah, so that's the kind of thing that we, I think, think we should, I promote that kind of thing. Thank you very much. Time is up. Thank you. I get a gift. I will declare it. Thank you so much, Lasani, for speaking to us today. I think it was a, quite a thought-provoking discussion. We had a lot of insights from the audience, which was quite interesting. Um, something to think about. Public interest is always important for actuaries. I think we need to always remember that. Thank you.